Heavenly Father, I give you great thanks and praise for this uh, beautiful day and the way that you bless us to come together as a community of faith. And Lord, in whatever condition we arrive this morning, whether it be harried, whether it be rested, whatever it might be, we pray that the the bomb, the good news of your gospel would go forth this morning as we reflect because um, we are ultimately and always dependent upon you. Direct us and guide us as we reflect this morning uh, and speak your truth to us in such a way that it might shape and fashion us in a way that uh, pours out good news in our relationships, we pray. And we ask all this now in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen. Well, welcome, everyone. Um, micromanagement uh, versus laissez-faire. Uh, and y'all, y'all may know, you may, may not know, this is, uh, it's a little series that's going on now, and, uh, we're warming things up for Victor and Mary Hansen next week. So, we're the warm-up act. Uh, that's it. Well, yeah, exactly. Mary did tell me she was going to come, so she knew where to come next week. And now, what is y'all's topic next week? What is your, Victor Mary, what's your topic? It's sort of like, uh, the tension or the balance between... Buddy or boss? Buddy or boss, friend versus... Uh, right, pal versus parent, buddy, boss, whatever alliteration you like most. Um, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Well, as you and I might imagine, we really, Paul and I, as we talked about this and reflected, we thought, you know what, maybe we were asked to do this because you'll feel much better about your parenting um, after you hear from Paul and I, uh, Paul and I this morning. Because it, it is, I mean, um, I mean, Lord have mercy, if there's... Uh, parenting will make you humble, um, won't it? Uh, so it'll definitely, uh, it will make you, <laughs> if it hasn't yet, it will uh, make you humble before it's before it's all said and done. And, and I don't know about y'all, but one of the things that certainly has been true for us, and um, Paul and I said as well, we might, you know, before it's all over, Paul and I might be doing point and counterpoint uh, before it's all over. And well, I think you're wrong. Um, so, but one of the things I know about us as parents as well, and I've, feel pretty certain we're not alone is, at least with our crew, I felt like as soon as we kind of sort of began to get a handle on it, they changed. Um, you feel like, okay, you know, I'm kind of getting this. I'm kind of figuring things out. And then they hit a new stage and growth, life, maturity, and it's a brand new ball game over again. And I've, I've put together an outline for us. And I guess I'll say this as well. My hope for us as we're gathered this morning is um, that it won't simply be lecture. Y'all are welcome to sort of chime in, ask questions, um, uh, what, whatever that might look like as we go through this morning. So uh, my, my hope would be is that it would be a little more interactive uh, than just um, my talking or or our talking. Um, so, but we did put together some some thoughts and reflections. As you can see, the topic is one. It's a great it's a great topic, and it's one of those. Um, micromanagement versus laissez-faire, um, you know, hands-on, hands-off, and, um, you know, there's one of those, I think, as parents, it, just whatever it might be in life, it's one of those things we're always looking for the balance. Um, you know, when am I, when should I be hands-on? When should I give uh, a little a little space uh, for the kids? And, um, and obviously, uh, you're welcome uh, to chime in and, uh, as, we, as we go along here. But I, I, I thought we'd begin, well, I'll just say this as well, where we are right now, as I mentioned, I mean, genuinely no 
experts. Ours, uh, our three kids now, uh, Jack is a senior in college, Maisie's a sophomore in college, Sally's a senior in high school. And so we're, uh, and you know, they're two years apart, so two years and change. That was when we could get our courage up um, to do it again was sort of after about uh, two years. And, and I'll say this as well. I mean, to some degree, you know, we all have a big plan and we see how all that plays out, you know, but we wanted them reasonably close and, and it worked out that way for us. It was a great idea before they were in college. Um, so, you know, now we're kind of like, huh, sort of rethinking that two year uh, spread. But um, while it's, it, you know, to some degree, it's financial carnage and chaos. But um, I'll say it really has been fun, even in college, been having them in some way. Jack and Maisie are actually at the same college. They're both down at Auburn. And uh, we would never have guessed they're two <laughs> dramatically different animals. Um, and so we would never have guessed that they would land in the same place together. But it's been better than we could have hoped for having a big brother there, um, uh, particularly for Maisie that, that freshman year to have a, a big brother there that she could call on um, periodically. And they, and they, they get along very well in, in small doses. Um, so it was actually kind of like the perfect, you know, the occasional get together was, was the right amount. And uh, with our three, Sally is a senior in high school. So of course we're months away from that empty nest, that big, um, at least theoretically, um, that big shift as, as Sal heads off. Um, but we wanted to start as we talk about this morning, uh, to some degree, this is not news to you. And, and yet, uh, I think as, as we think about any of this, because to some degree, I guess the question is, with, with uh, this title or what Victor and Mary will be doing next week, what's happened before is, I mean, to some degree, the question is, how does the revelation of God affect the way that I live in relationships? Um, how, does, how does the gospel and the message of the gospel uh, affect my relationships? That's, to some degree, what we're all trying to figure out. This is, this is good news, but does this good news apply to how I live with 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 whomever, how I parent my children, how I live with my parents, with my spouse, with my siblings, with my coworkers, whatever it might be, how does the gospel begin to take on legs and apply um, to our lives and the things that we, the things that we do, the things that we don't do, and ultimately too, um, the opportunity for you and I to be people who, uh, at the end of things, also have freedom and trust, um, uh, re- regardless, to have freedom and, and trust, and so we begin with a couple of scriptures, with a statement, as I say, not news, but that children um, are a gift from God. And I do think that, uh, as uh, you know, as, as you may say, well, you know, thanks for that incredible insight, Craig. Um, I'm glad I came. Uh, but I, I do think that's, uh, you know, it's one of those things. Some of those simple truths are important to remind ourselves of uh, again and again and again. And children are a gift from God. And sometimes they feel like that. Um, and, and sometimes it feels like children are a challenge from God. Um, and so, yes, um, a little bit of all the above. Psalm 127 uh, says this, and it's a song of a sense. And uh, what, what that means is this, is as the people, as the Israelites, they would um, travel on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They would go up to the temple. And as they went up to the temple, they would sing songs as they made this pilgrimage. And there are some of the psalms referred to as psalms of ascent, uh, and there were songs of praise that they would sing as they ascended up to Jerusalem on their pilgrimage. And this is one of their songs of, of praise, and in that is that um, familiar verse, children are a gift from God. And 127 says this, 
Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Uh, and I would say to some degree as well for you and for me as, as parents in relationship with our children, you know, to some degree ultimately what we're praying is that the Lord will, yes, certainly build um, our house, whatever our house might look like, but, but also that the Lord would be the foundation for our children, um, that, that he would be the one ultimately that would build the foundation for them. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Again, what you and I do is not irrelevant, um, but it's not of greatest relevance. Uh, what is of greatest relevance is who God has revealed himself to be and, and what God does and accomplishes, uh, greater than, than yours and mine. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Um, how many parents have ate the bread of anxious toil? Um, yeah, exactly. To be a parent to some degree is, is to be is to be anxious uh, and is to wring your hands. You see how he looks at me when he says the word anxious? That was completely accidental. <laughs> from the day that Jack Smalley came home, because the day Jack Smalley came home from the hospital, I knew he was going to have to be put up for adoption, and I meant that. I, there was nothing more than I wanted. We were the priest of a family in seminary. Everybody was having kids. It was nothing but planned, and he came home, and I was scared to death, and that fear was 10 pounds. I had nothing to be afraid of. But I was terrified, and I knew that somebody else could do a better job than I could. And I think as our parenting went along, and somehow we got enough confidence to have two more, um, and as they got older, when you're really trying to make those real decisions, like in high school, when they're going to take math team, that's when I think really like um, your confidence goes to pot again. And I want to, um, and that as simple as those scriptures are, I hope you can use them as confidence because God didn't give your children to the neighbor. He gave them to you and it took me a long time to realize that and a long time of blood sweat and tears to realize that the lady next door that knew everything that had three older children that went to the naval academy she knew everything and my children were never going to survive if they didn't take math team survive not just make it through high school survive life without math team and ap courses it is, I think you go through parenting and all those different stages and then it hits you again when they're in high school and you have no confidence. And I think society takes over and us as parents don't have the confidence to make our own decisions. So somehow in 10th grade, we took Jack Smalley to Macquarie Grill, real high, you know, meal. And after one of his basketball games, we apologized to him and said, we're so sorry, we set you up. He had no business being a math team. He had no business taking AP English, no business. But because the lady that had those, you know, those children will call her Susie. Um, that's not her name. But anyways, she knew everything and I was convinced she did. But in 10th grade, I kind of wised up and realized, you know what, you're my kid and I'm going to do it like I think I know how with God's help. So as simple as those scriptures are, I hope that you can leave with encouragement when those times, no matter if you're having a newborn and you're ready to send them back, or when they get to high school. That um, So I think like with the title of the Sunday school being hands-on or hands-off, be 100% hands-on. They need you. They need you through college. They need you as the infant. They need you through middle school. They need you through high school to walk alongside them. I think we... Susie is the type of person that, I mean, would not take the lunch up if they forgot it. Well, then I realized, well, you know, my mom always brought my lunch, and I seem to have survived through adulthood. So hands-on, whether it's the lunch at the school or what their plans are, and I think every one of us are faced with those um, phones. 
that we didn't have to deal with with Jack as a senior in high school because he never even got an iPhone until he was a senior in high school. But I do think it's a critical piece that allows us as parents to step out too early. And I think, again, God gave us these children. He didn't give them the phone to manage their life. And I think with that phone, and I know it's just, it just is easy to just speak those words, but um, be careful of those phones because they will take over and make you step out and be hands off a lot earlier than probably you need to be. I mean, that's practical. But um, I see it. I'm a preschool teacher. I'm really in it with the kids. And it's too young. And your children are missing things that maybe as a parent you should be encouraging them to do. But they are managing their own life too early. So be hands-on. Make sure you're not letting them. I mean, put the brakes on. I guess that's what I'm saying. Um, And it's a lot easier to say than to do because it's a lot easier as we get busier because our children are managing with the phones. Um, we can't get too busy as parents. Um, yeah, as Paula mentioned, we with Jack is uh, Jack's our oldest, and you know to some degree it's it's kind of a mixed bag. Some degrees we're like, look, we're sorry, pal, you were the first. Um, that was you know that was one of the things. Don't say we're sorry. That was one of the things we told him really. And there's a certain truth to that. It's just like you know, I'm sorry. We're gonna give you back, and we're still sorry about that. Right. But that, you know, and I do think that's a huge, Paula brings up uh, a huge challenge, uh, which you had is, uh, uh, and you've heard the saying, comparison is the thief of joy. Um, and, and particularly in, in, in our, our community, and when I say our community, I mean, you know, not Birmingham, it's not unique to, to Birmingham, but, but I mean, it's, uh, parents, for us to remember as well, we're not exempt from peer pressure. Uh, and and uh, one of the things as well, we've now blown up our outline, um, so we're going to be all over. Um, so, uh, parenting by thanks, babe. Um, you know, parenting by. I'm just trying to get to the point. That's right. But driven by driven by faith rather than by fear. But I mean, that is one of our big challenges. And 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 one of the things we fell prey to initially with Jack is. Yeah, it's this whole idea of we, you, you have to compete and you have to measure up and you can't you can't fall behind. And, you know, again, first kid, we did. We set him up going into high school. He's Jack has done very well in college. He's a fun kid, but he wasn't ready for Spanish and AP English and math team. And now Maisie, our middle, great. No, no problem. She would uh, love that and, and flourish in that type of deal. Jack. Yeah, not so much. So there's that opportunity to apologize to your kid as well, which is isn't a bad thing sometimes to say, yeah, sorry. You know, we we shanked on that one. Or, you know, there it is, pal. Or, you know, we were we were driven by fear and anxiety and we let that get a hold of us and we let that negatively influence our our decisions um, in your behalf. At the same time we also tell Jack when he complains, because Sally's the third and he is aghast um, that Paul and I are now so lax as parents, um, that we've become so um, laissez-faire, and he's just scandalized um, by it. And he says, you know, well, when I was Sally's age, is one of the things he likes to begin with, that we're like, you know, we have apologized rightly, but yeah, you didn't have it that hard. Uh, it's like, you know, our heart's not breaking. You, 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 you made it okay. But that's one of the things I think is important as well, whether you have one child, two, three, four, five, regardless of the number of kids. One of the things as well is, and I mentioned Psalm 139 here, and I won't read it, in it to you in its entirety, um, 
But if you remember one of the verses from Psalm, oh, oh Lord, you've searched me out and known me. You've knit me together in the mother's womb. Your works are, are wonderful. I know that full well. And, and I think part of the challenge for us as, as parents, again, with comparison being the thief of joy, is we worry, um, should our child be more like so-and-so or should our child be different than who they are? And I, and I think part of the wonderful opportunity for you and for me as parents is, is to, is to, yes, to be very engaged in their lives, but, but both prayerfully and, and awfully, and that word awe is, you know, marvel, wonder, allow God to unfold each of our children to the type of person that he's designed them to be and equipped them to be, rather than to try to make them something that they're not or something that we think they um, they should be, to allow our kids to be different, um, whether that be from their siblings, whether that be uh, from folks around, I mean, you know, the whole... From ourselves. Yeah, from ourselves as well, exactly. We have... Um, you know, our, uh, you know, as to say, we, of our three, three very, very um, different kids and realizing that the way that the essentials are the same, but the way that you relate to your different kids may be very different. Um, what works for Jack may not work for Maisie. What works for Maisie may not work um, for Sally. We, you know, the, the essentials don't change, but the way that you approach each child um, often needs to um, because of what gives them encouragement, what builds them up. And I do want to say um, also with those expectations, they kind of get in your way also with the comparison expectations are really scary. I think we expect our children and I think it's smart, but I think in our life, I mean, we could never hold up to the allowance, the cleaning the room. I mean, we'd get all on this hot thing, like I bring all this stuff and we have to have the allowance. And, you know, that lasted two weeks and I was really good at it and really strong for two weeks. Well, then that just kind of went out the window. Well, here's $20 to go to the movie. I mean, but, you know, I will tell you that we didn't even make them clean their room and I'm not proud of that because I can't even clean my own room. I am the walking mess. I'm the person that was the messy girl in the hallway and I'm an adult and I'm still a mess. Very scattered and don't feel guilty. There's probably one other person in the room that just can't get it together and it's me. And somehow my three children have grown up and I'm telling you, I didn't do any of it. It was God's hand. Jack is the one that is running the show in the apartment. Somehow he does his laundry on his own because I couldn't be doing their laundry. I could barely do my own laundry. And the middle child, Maisie, somehow makes her bed every single day. I went in her dorm and the bed was made. I'm like, oh my God. I mean, I didn't teach them that. They were able to come out on their own and be their own person. God wired me a mess. I, have, I mean, 48 years of worth trying to change it. I can't do it. I have a lot of help, but I can't do it. And then you put me in a wheelchair and I'm really a double mess. So I really just, that's just how it is. And I had to kind of give into that who I was and I just do the best I can. But somehow my kids, I grew up in a very home where my mother had to have everything organized. My dad was an alcoholic and everything had to be perfect. Well, out of that came somehow me, five kids, two addicted to drugs, one that's an alcoholic and one that's like totally, I mean, driven so type A, Donna, and we're thankful she's like that. We call her Donna Reed. Um, everything's lovely. Everything's lovely. Yeah. Somehow, God took care of that. And so somehow when you get to 48, you can look back on that and you look forward and you think, somehow God had his hand in that whole thing and I didn't even do it. My parents are still married 65 years. How? I mean, I live in a very, like my mom ironed on my clothes and they were all in the, the you know, she did everything. 
and I couldn't do anything for my kids and they still turned out fine. So I hope you find that encouraging. I mean, I'm not saying that the allowance isn't great. Every book says it's perfect. Every, one, every book you'll read says it's the most important thing on the planet. <laughs> so I agree with it because I have all those books next to my nightstand still, but it didn't work for us and it was okay. Somehow they grew up and they don't overspend. They don't, I, I don't know. And that wasn't anything that we did. I think we prayed a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a great point. Yeah, as Paula said, whether just by way of whether better or worse just by way of confession yeah we are the terrible people about making your bed allowance we tried. chores we gave it a good heart. we had that little sheet um in the kitchen that lasted a couple of days um you know you yeah, check off like, doing this um, and citations just... every time they like acted up like at Moe's or something like everybody was crazy okay we're getting a citation that's it we you know still have it on the thing if you brush your teeth yeah basically what it made it it, all, it turned them all into cops on one another you know <laughs> they're all like they're watching for the other one to Slip so they could cite them. Um, in that department, we were laid fair in that department. Yes, but I feel like we were hands on with the kids, with the friends, with the. Mm-hmm. And I know all y'all are nodding your head. You're in it. And it's, and it's, and when they go to college, you're just like have your own friends, have your own friends' parents. Have at it. It's free. You know, when they went off to college, it, it was it's kind of a mixed bag because in some ways. Uh, I know for me, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I felt is, gosh, you know, did I do enough? Um, I should have done more. I wish I had instilled this more. I mean, there was there was a certain amount of anxiety that went into. Panic. Yeah, exactly. You know, have I have I equipped them for the for the next phase of of life? And to some degree, I mean, the answer is, of course, no. Um, I mean, yes and no. I mean, are you going to uh, perfectly equip your kids? No. Um, regardless of how conscientious you are. Ultimately, they're dependent upon God in the same way that you and I are dependent upon God. But one of the nice things when they went away to college is, in some ways, I had a tremendous amount of relief in saying, you know what, now what I can do is pray for them. Um, You know, because I'm not there to say, are you doing your homework? Uh, Are you in on time? Are you eating right? Are you making good decisions? Et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you still talk with them and talk about those things, but somebody it's like, you know, what we can do now is is pray for them. And, And I'd say this as well, whether they're, Infants, whether they're, you know, whether you have uh, adult kids that are married with children of their own or anywhere in between, I know in talking with my parents, parental anxiety never goes away. Um, you never cease to feel that for your children. You never cease to uh, be affected by your happiness being affected by your least happy or your most happy child, or then your least happy or most happy grandchild. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't stop. But I'll say this. Really, there's tremendous power in praying for your kids. Don't don't underestimate the importance of of praying for your children. I mean, practice good habits, read parenting books. That's great, but also there's tremendous power in in prayer and lifting our kids up in that way. And I do think when we pray for our children, it does soften our heart. I never felt like I knew that in the throes of it, but I didn't have anything else to go to. So I do feel like the more we prayed, now that I look back on it all, I do think it softened my heart, and I do think that the love went out in the end. Because I do think what we did do and what we still do is just love them wholeheartedly in the end. And, of course, I and I always think I shared my heart, and I didn't know what else to do when you're facing those things with your boys, with the porn, with those phones. I was scared to death of that. So what did I do? I would just say it. It would be on my heart and I had nothing to lose but everything. So never let it be said when you get older and you're addicted to porn that I didn't say it. And then I'm going to love you through it. 
So, you know, when you have those things on your heart, tell your children because they want to see your heart. I really do believe they want to see your heart. They want to see your weaknesses. And I wouldn't say that except for they're 22. And I, I always showed my heart. And somehow, I don't mm-hmm. know, it just somehow you that know, prayer softens your heart to love them unconditionally. And, and I, think, I think, well, go I, no, I, think, I, I, I want to chime in because I think you make a great, you make a great point of, you know, we, whatever, whether it be talking to your kids about sex or whatever, you know, you, I don't know about y'all, but I do great in the conversations in my mind. Um, I mean, I'm awesome. I am awesome at those. Yeah. The, 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 the real conversations, not so much. It's kind of like, you know, the real, it's like, you know, shockingly it didn't go the way I imagined it. Um, but one of the things that I put on the outline here is, and it, we're, we can blow that up, just we're jumping around, but, the importance of time with your kids, and I know you've heard that, but but also, you know, we tend to think I've got to prepare and I have to have, quote, a talk or the talk or, or whatever it might be with our kids. But I think, like any of us, it's better to have an ongoing relationship. And as Paul mentioned, just share those things along the way rather than putting it off to the one time you're going to have this perfect conversation because you're not. Um, when you sit down and have it, it's not going to be that perfect conversation the way you plan it and you're going to communicate it's going to be awkward um and you're going to stumble and you know it's just kind of like and you're going to walk away like i failed um i totally but it's possible when it when it's on your heart share it when you're sitting around watching tv or when you're riding in the car when you're walking or when you're whatever have those ongoing conversations and it might seem obscure i I mentioned at the bottom build traditions and experience mark's gospel one of the things that's unique about, well, it's not unique, but one of the things Mark's gospel really points out is the importance for the disciples that they spent a lot of time with Jesus and around Jesus. And that may not sound that profound, but they they were with him along the way. And there was something so tremendously valuable in their being around him, not only at the spectacular moments for the feeding of the 5,000 or what have you, but in the mundane moments as well, that they were soaking that in, that all of that experience and relationship and exposure was affecting them in a, in a positive way, in a way that shaped them. And the same with our kids. I mean, it's easier said than done, I realize, because it's challenging to work and to balance all the different, all the different things. I mean, it's, you know, I don't throw this out as some sort of burden or law, like I'm expecting you to spend these number of hours with your kids and I'm going to check in with you. Um, but to say, to have that ongoing time with them, as Paula said, just when it's on your heart, share it. Uh, you don't have to share it perfectly. Just share it along the way. And most of us do better hearing things repeated um, or hearing it in, in shorter bits than in longer bits. And some of those big things, I, I can remember my dad's conversation with me when he was trying to talk with me about you know sex and all that kind of good stuff. And um, it was he was terrible. Um, I mean, he just he was terrible, and yet it was so powerful. It was very short, but he came in, he sat in my room. There was just this honesty, this vulnerability, this love. And it it had a tremendous impact in my life. Not because it was a great speech. I mean, it just wasn't. Um, but, the, you know, but just about like, you know what, that the fact that it was so sincere and so bad um, touched my heart in, in a way more than if it had been a fabulous um, put together introduction, three points and conclusion. Um, it was much better that way because, again, we're. And I mentioned as well, uh, be driven by faith and not by fear. And I think one of the challenges we tend to micromanage, and Romans 8, if you remember, 
there's the portion of, uh, for we did not, uh, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption uh, as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And I think one of the things that happens to us, at least to me, um, is um, fear gets a hold of you, uh, and then you swoop in um, to micromanage and to try and catch up, and, and that ends up tending to uh, alienate more than than draw you to one another. It's like I'm I'm anxious uh, and I'm fearful, and so now I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna over uh, I'm going to over function. And if you haven't noticed, we were um, we grew up in two different households, which brings two different people to the table with two different kinds of parenting. So and I think that's so hard. And if you're a single parent, you don't have anybody to bounce it off of. And I'm not a single parent. I don't understand that fully. But um, you know, you're kind of running your own show. But if you are married couple raising your children together, you're coming from one end. I'm coming from a high anxiety. Everything is scared. Everything is blown out. Everything's crazy all the time. Amen. Just sit Amen. <laughs> so, Amen. you know, you bring those two together, and I'm definitely fearful of the alcohol. I don't drink. I came from a long line of alcoholics, and I knew that was just going to be my hot point. And the drugs was always going to be my hot point. There was just no two ways about it. I was scared to death. But I hung around the partiers, and so I understand the need to hang around the partiers. I drove the biggest party at our high school around when we were in high school, so I, I get so, it. That's how I arrived here safely. Paula Smalley. No, no, no. <laughs> I was just glad to be along. I didn't care what everybody was doing. But I didn't want to put that fear with my kids in it to just sit at home and be the non-drinker. They weren't those type of kids. They were social. And so you just hold your breath basically for when that first time is going to happen. And then you have to face that as a parent. And I think those hot points, understanding those as couples, and even as a single parent, maybe understanding those hot points, like whatever you come to the table with from your past or whatever your worry is, if the, you know, the C on the test is your big deal thing, you know, um, just kind of know that because it's coming. It, it really is coming. And I'm such an anticipatory griever that I always feel like I've got to be prepared for the worst. So, of course, the drug test came that he failed and of course he drank and you know Craig's up there saying I'm just telling you and just get ready because you know it's coming and and so you know there there was that so we were still very hands-on because I was so scared and he needed to know how scared and how sad I really was does that make sense? I don't know it's just, um, I know I'm rambling but to be on the side of the 22 year old and knowing what we did I just think it had an effect I don't know I just think that Talking, and I remember with the girls, you always heard of those stories that, oh my God, the girls are going, the teenage girls are going to slam the doors. Like, that's going to be the thing. And I knew in my mind, like, that would crush me if you slammed the door in my face. So I think when they were four years old, I just started telling them, you know, it's going to really make me sad. Slam the door. And it's really going to make me sad. Now, they didn't slam the door. Yes, they got mad, and yes, they're girls. And, but Jack, I remember always telling you, it's going to really make me sad. Like you get addicted to drugs. Now he's not addicted. Matt say Jack is not addicted to drugs or <laughs> pornography or alcohol or. Let me to, just I sort of clarify. Yeah, this is yeah. But I did have to face my worst fear, and just to be candid, he, he you know. I, Jack, here's my fears. Um, but we we already crossed all those, and so now you know we parented those, and we can tell you more about all that. But it is that is a, that is how we we mentioned to the best of your ability, parent as a team, complement one another. I mean, because sometimes, as Paula mentioned, we all come from. Family backgrounds, which may be very different. Um, Paula says my family's boring because they don't scream at each other. Um, it's kind of like, you know, 
What's wrong with y'all? Um, so the TV so they can talk. Um, exactly, it's super annoying. Um, and so, but now that you come from, but you know, any whether you know whether it be uh, a couple or if you're a single parent and you're drawing on other friends and people and family members and parenting kids, work on complementing one another. No one has all the strengths. I mean, you both. We all come from family backgrounds, and so that makes us. Like any any person, we look at our families. In some ways, we say in this, we say, "All right, I don't want to be anything like my family in this way, um, but I really want to do this like my family did." And so, just know that you're going to be coming from different viewpoints on some things. Also, sometimes just men and women look at things differently. I can remember one of Jack's buddies back in the day when they were maybe they were ten, and the boy next door was bugging him, wouldn't you know, wouldn't let up, wouldn't let up. And one of Jack's friends picked up some poop and threw it on this kid's trampoline. Um, and Paul was sure that this kid needed counseling. And I was just like, nah, he's fine. He's just, you know, 10-year-old boy might have made sense at the moment. So it's just kind of like compliment one another and say, yeah, there's, yeah, I wouldn't worry about that one too much. Yeah. Would I encourage it? No. But yeah, was that, yeah, was that a sign of some innate deviance? Uh, probably not. Uh, that was just kind of like 10-year-old boy mind made sense uh, at the moment, but but work, know what each other's hot buttons are, work on complimenting one another. The big thing I want to say is, because I, you know, again, Paul and I, like everybody else, we parent in a particular way, and some of the things we do we like, some of the things we do we don't like. Um, as she mentioned, we're, we're, we're not good um, allowance and make your bed people, um, you know. We're, we, of course, as parents are hypocrites, but we're like, well, we won't be hypocritical in that way. Um, so we'll let that one kind of go to some degree. But one of the things we, I'm a fan of 1 Corinthians 13. We often read at weddings, you know, love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't, it bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. It keeps no record of wrongs. It, it talks about the ways which we might complement one another, which we might forbear with one another. The, and you think about it, not in any relationship. The when people are encouraging, when they're kind, when they when they help you, uh, you tend to think pretty positively about those people, and you tend to be drawn to those people in your life. And we're big fans of practicing kindnesses toward our kids uh, and and encouraging them in different ways. And maybe they're going to grow up to be tremendously irresponsible. People, but we're always like, yeah. If you, if you got your lunch, we'll bring it up. Um, if you, you know, if you, and I know there's kind of the big strain. They need to learn, you know, they need to learn responsibility, and you know, you're gonna, they're gonna end up in prison um, if you take that lunch up to them. Um, so we're kind of ones that like encouraging and practicing kindnesses um, for them. I noticed, uh, and just you know, being on their team, um, it's like, you know what? Sometimes we're going to be the ones that chew you out um, because of what you did, but but we're going to be on your team. Uh, you know what? We I know for that was one of the transformational things for me in Christian faith as well with my parents was that when I was at my worst in those high school teenage years, there was never a final straw. And we I mean we went to battle and we you know we we fought with one another and uh, it was it was you know, dramatically and wildly imperfect, but there was never a final straw. There was never like, you know what, we had it, we're washing our hands. Uh, even when I was trying to push away, I was on their team. They were on my team. There was never that breaking point. And that was, as I say, transformational, not only in my relationship with them, uh, but also my relationship with the Lord and, and beginning to understand the Lord's character 
uh, in relationship with me. They, in their very imperfect way, help pave the way to my understanding that. And I think we have that opportunity for our kids. More than anything, we, we pray that our kids will be believers. Uh, more than they graduate from high school, graduate from college, have a good job, whatever it might be. We pray that, yeah, I know, I pray for ours that, Lord, I pray that they'll know you and love you and that they'll love you and serve you, whatever that happens whatever that happens to look like. I mean, that more than anything else is our essential prayer. Kind of jumping around real quick. I put, pray okay. for, okay. go ahead. Well, I do think like um, like in the allowance and all that, well, sometimes everybody was just too tired and we couldn't get the clothes and we didn't make it to church. But to be able to see Jesus through our eyes in our daily life, that we make mistakes, that we call on him, that we're praying to him, that your Bible is there. I just think those visual things that they, they know, first and foremost, they you trust God 100% with everything you do and with everything that they have in store. And I just think it's so important for them to be able to see that, and there's just other ways to see that than just marching off to church and making that a show. You just have to show them with your love. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. The last two things I'll say, just because the bell's tolling, and, you know, I mean, good grief. I hope this has been of some help, um, or at least not been detrimental. Um, <laughs> so, is, you can only go up. You know, it's, it's just kind of right like, the, the, the last two things I'll say is, I, I have down there, pray for a high bottom. Your, your kids are going to make mistakes, uh, and your kids are going to make bad decisions, and they're going to head in directions at times um, that aren't helpful, and you know, some of we, we pray that they'll have a high bottom, um, that they won't have to go. I mean, all of us in our lives in some way or another have had to hit bottom. And it's unfortunately, it's the same is going to be true for our kids. I mean, it's a human experience. And so to some of you, pray that they'll have a high bottom, that when they when they hit it, it'll be we we prayed for our kids to get caught doing something early. So, you know, um, you know, before is Grand Theft Auto. You know, you wanted something so you could, you know, have that opportunity to speak to it earlier um, rather than rather than later in life. And, the, and I've mentioned as well, allow them to care for you. With um, with Paula's accident, which was horrific in many ways, but one of the things that was phenomenal um, was just the uh, our kids caring for us and for one another during that time. And I think that's why you sow those seeds and that wasn't our doing. That was God's. That was God's doing. But but it gives them, you know, give them also the opportunity to care for one another. Um, give them the opportunity to to care for you because you know we have a need to receive in our lives, but we also have a need to give. Um, and and giving your kids that opportunity to. You don't need to tell them everything, but when you're when you're challenged, when you need encouragement, when you need support, not in the sense of. I've had a hard day. Give me a break. Um, that's not what I mean. <laughs> Can you lay off? You know, I'm kind of tired. That, that's that's not the way I'm saying it. But giving your kids the opportunity to to, to love and to care for you. And we were in the hospital. I try to make Jack go home. And a number of the nights he stayed with us there in the hospital. He's like, no, I'm not going. I'm going to be here um, for you. I think he was looking at Craig like, oh, my God. Maybe he's, I'm falling. I've already fallen apart. Maybe he's going to. It's like, we can't have both of you fall <laughs> apart. We need, yeah, we need one of you all to stay together. Probably, yeah. But, I mean, his being there for us to love and to care for us was, oh, I mean, it, it, it you know, it, it chokes me up to this day. It will choke me up for life. I mean, just that opportunity to have your child love and, and, and care for you, the girls. Um, I mean, we were not in the house for three and a half, no, I don't know, a couple months. I don't know, whatever it was. It was a long time. 
um, but they caring for caring for us and caring for one another and um, in ways large and small giving your kids the opportunity to care for one another and encourage one another and care for you I think builds I don't know uh, value in their lives but anyway the bell is told 